But it's important because in a lifetime, we have a lot of wake-ups. For example, I'm 76 years old, which means that the Lord has blessed me with more than 27,740 mornings since my birth. That's a lot of wake-ups. Now, our answers are going to vary to those questions, and it may vary from day to day. But, oh, no, I forgot to make that important phone call or send that email I was supposed to. Or, I didn't pay that bill yesterday, and now it's late. Ugh, I have so many things on my to-do list, I'll never get them done today. Wonder what the weather's going to be like so my, my plans won't be ruined I've got that big English exam today, and I ain't prepared for it. I hope that this is the day that the Lord returns. So I could go on and on, but you get the picture. The first things we think of each morning will have a bearing on the rest of our day. And too many times, our days don't begin with an acknowledgement of our Lord, who has graciously given us yet another new day. This morning, as we look at the prophet Jeremiah and his writings, it's my prayer that we will all find a great answer to to that question that Jeremiah found. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we commit this time to you. Please bless my words and bless our hearings of your word as we look into your scriptures that we learn more about the awesome and almighty God who you are. We thank you in the very precious name of Jesus our Lord and our Savior and our King. Before we get into the text this morning, which is from Lamentations 3, I'd like to read the call of Jeremiah and the first chapter of the book of Jeremiah and see how it came that Jeremiah became a prophet. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came to him also in the days of Jeroiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah speaking, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah's response, Then I said, O Lord, God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. We're going to find that Jeremiah's message was one of impending judgment on the southern kingdom of Judah because of their idolatry and their gross sins. 
But he preached for over 42 years, from about 627 B.C. to 586 B.C. And he was a prophet during the reigns of five of the last kings of Judah. Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. Now, Josiah of these kings was the only good king. He was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the way of David, his father. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. The last four kings were all evil, and they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And we see how it ends in the disaster and destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. We can read other details of Jeremiah's times and his prophecies. They're recorded in 2 Kings chapter 22 through 25 and 2 Chronicles 34 through 36 and also in the book of Jeremiah. The, the scribe Baruch helped uh, Jeremiah write that book of Jeremiah. We won't be going too much into that today because we'll be focusing on Lamentations. So, with that said, let's just review temp- quickly the long history of Israel. From the wanderings in the desert after God had mightily delivered them from Egypt, we see them disobedient right from the very start, complaining and wandering in the desert for 40 years. Their disobedience in conquering and utterly destroying the nations that God was giving them, they failed to completely do that under Joshua. Then, after Joshua died, the times of the judges, when there was this repetitious behavior. People committed the sin of idolatry. God brought oppression upon them. They cried out to God in repentance, and God raised up a deliverer. And that cycle kept repeating over and over again through the whole book of Judges. We also see there came a time when they demanded a king so they could be like the nations around them. So beginning with Saul and then David, the man after God's own heart, then Solomon. Then came the divided kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin. We know that the northern kingdom had 20 bad kings, all of them. Judah, on the other hand, out of the 20 kings that they had, Seven were were good kings, as we discussed with Josiah. They all did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Then we see the fall of the northern kingdom in 722 B.C. under the the Assyrians. And now Jeremiah has witnessed the fall of the southern kingdom, the total destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. After more than three centuries, we can summarize these transgressions of the southern kingdom as the breaking of God's covenant, rebellion against God, unbelief, tolerating false prophets, and idolatry. In other words, these two southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah, were enslaved to idolatry. And uh, we must remember that For this rebellion and unbelief, God's judgment against them was severe. 
but he always kept a believing remnant, no matter what, no matter when in history. And we see that remnant carried off to Babylon, and then we see them, as Jeremiah did prophesy, they return in 70 years to rebuild the temple and to repair the walls and the gates under, as recorded in Ezra and Nehemiah. So let me read just a little bit of chapter 7 in Jeremiah. You could turn there with me or just listen. But this is a sample of the message that God gave Jeremiah to give to Judah. Listen. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word. And say, hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah, who enter the gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. For if you are truly mend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, If you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your forefathers forever. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal and murder and commit adultery and swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house? which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered only to go on doing all those abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. Go now to my place that was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at first, and see what I did to it because of the evil of the people of Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, and when I spoke to you persistently, you did not listen. When I called to you, you did not answer. Therefore, I will do to the house that is called by my name and in which you trust, and to the place that I gave to you and to your fathers, as I did in Shiloh. I will cast you out of my sight, as I will cast all your kinsmen and all, as I did with all the offspring of Ephraim. That would be the northern kingdom. I could go on to the, read the rest of this chapter, but it's, this is a, a prophecy over and over and over again through the book of Jeremiah. We see the destruction is coming, and there's nothing stopping it. So... This is uh, quite a sample of his uh, prophecies and preaching. Now I'd like to just turn to our scripture verses this morning to Lamentations chapter 3. If you would turn there, please, and follow along as I read. Chapter 3, Lamentations, beginning in verse 19. Remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait on him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may be yet hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, and let him be filled with insults. For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, he will have compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. The book of Lamentations is a book that consists of five laments, lament, lament, laments, I'm sorry, or poems. It's in acrostic format, which means that for every letter of the Hebrew, there is a verse. And so we see in four of the chapters, one, two, four, and five, there are 22 verses. And in just chapter three, which is the longest, there are three clauses, of, so it amounts to 66 verses. One of the commentaries said this is, uh, each poem is complete in itself with a distinct subject. Chapter 1, the chosen city of Zion, once exalted as God's dwelling place, has been destroyed and humbled for her sins. In chapter 2, Zion's loss of glory begins, and God's anger against her is portrayed. Prophet 3, as we'll see, this is Jeremiah's personal anguish sustained by a belief in the covenantal steadfast love of God. And chapter 4, we see him portrays the miseries and agonies of this destruction of Zion, along with the assurance that this punishment will cease. And then chapter 5 is a final plea and prayer for restoration. By Jewish tradition, this book is read on the ninth of Ab to remember the date of Jerusalem's destruction by Nebuchadnezzar. Interestingly, uh, the same date is marked the destruction of Herod's temple in 70 A.D. So we're going to focus upon chapter 3, and we'll be looking at three things. Jeremiah's affliction, his answer, and his assurance. We've already heard much about the affliction that he was impacting him at this point. And remember, at this time, Jerusalem and the temple are totally destroyed after two years of sieging by Nebuchadnezzar and his armies. Two years, uh, a horrible time, uh, death caused by great famine, starvation to the point where there was cannibalism. Starvation continued to kill people again and again, along with pestilence, plagues, and finally the death by sword. It was not a pretty scene that Jeremiah witnessed. Listen to him describe his firsthand experience of this suffering because of the apostate, apostate Judah in verses 1 through 18 of this chapter 3. And notice, as we look at these verses, there are times that it sounds like the complaints of Job. It also sounds like the complaints and the, the cries of the Psalms. And it also could sound like 
the sufferings of Jesus on the cross. Jeremiah uses images and metaphors to impress upon our minds the terribleness of what has happened and the affliction and the despair. Look at verses 1 through 3. He attributes this affliction to the rod of the Lord's wrath, driving him into darkness. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into the darkness without light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day. In verse 4, he gives us a, a picture of physical suffering and pain. He made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. Then in 5 and 6, he relates the besiegement of Jerusalem. He describes that, but now he's describing God's siege upon him personally, leaving him in total darkness and abandoned to the place of death. It says, he has besieged me and enveloped me, enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me to dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. Then, 7 through 9, the walls that once protected them have now become walls of imprisonment. Listen to these verses. He has walled me in about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. And then, in verses 10 and 11, he gives us the image about a bear or a lion. They are great hunters, and they seek their prey. And when they get their prey, they rip it in shreds. They tear it up. And this is what he says. He is like a bear waiting for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me into pieces. He has made me desolate. Then he talks about the divine warrior in verses 12 and 13. He bent his bow and sent me, as an, sent me as a target for his arrow. He drove into the, my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. Then we have in verses 14 and 16 the picture of ridicule and suffering. I have become a laughingstock of all the peoples, the object of their taunts all the day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and has made me cower in ashes. Quite a picture, quite an image. Then he finally says, my soul is bereaved of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And so I say, my endurance has perished and so has my hope. You know, there's a prayer in the Valley of Vision, and I can picture Jeremiah. This is the point where he's at. It goes something like this. Lord, help me, and if I am driven to the verge of hope and to the pit of despair, grant us grace to fall into his everlasting arms. This is where the point where Jeremiah is. But... We see a transition happen here in the next few verses. Look at verse 
19 and 20. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. He has just rehearsed those in those verses that we covered. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. And this is his answer that he gets. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Now, we never use the word never. But in this case, in speaking of God, we can use the words never and always. And every morning, his faithfulness is true to us. After all that Jeremiah has gone through, after 40-plus years of the, as the Lord's prophet, he gets this answer. And so if we go away today and remember only one thing, let it be verses 21 through 24. This is the climax, the, the climatic point of chapter 3 and the whole book of Lamentations. It's the jewel to take home that we can put into practice. What is the first thing we think of? When you wake up each morning. But this I call to mind. Therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. Now the word used here, uh, the Hebrew word is is hesed which means steadfast love or mercy. But Sinclair Ferguson writes this about, Hesed is one of the big words of the Old Testament scriptures. It appears 250 times and dominantly with reference to God himself. He is a God of loving kindness. When God revealed himself to Moses, he said he was full of Hesed in Exodus 34.6. Not simply love or kindness in the ordinary sense, It means God's deep goodness expressed in his covenantal commitment, his absolute loyalty, his obliging himself to bring to fruition the blessings that he has promised, whatever it may cost him personally to do that, end quote. So not only do we find this verse here speaking about the loving kindnesses, but the scriptures are full of them. In the Old Testament, 250 times. I'll just go over a few. Job 10.12, in one of Job's prayers, he cries out, You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. In Genesis 24, verses 26 through 27, we find Abraham's servant being sent to his homeland to seek a wife for Isaac. And this is what he says. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. When Jacob was returning to see Esau, he said these words. Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds 
of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan. Now I'm returning and I'm two camps. Remember when Joseph was thrown into prison. But the Lord said that the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the prison keeper. In the Song of Moses, we hear these words. You have led in, in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in, by your strength and to your holy abode. We see the steadfast love expressed in the commandments. We see when Moses was interceding for the people of Israel, when God wanted to destroy them, he called upon the steadfast love. We see it over and over again in the Psalms. Let me give you a sample. Psalm 89.1, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. And in Psalm 92.1 and 2, it says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to his name. O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. In Psalm 100, verse 5, we read this. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Psalm 103 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. When we use Psalm 51 to confess our sins before God, we say these words right in the beginning. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to the abundant, your abundant mercy, blot out our transgressions. And then Psalm 25 is the last one. Verses 6, 7, and 10. The psalmist David is crying out, Remember, O Lord, your mercy and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Do not remember our transgressions or the sins of our youth, but according to your steadfast love, O Lord, remember me. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. The answer is very clear. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, and they are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And finally, we see the assurance of Jeremiah that he receives in verses 31 and 32. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. One commentary says this, As bleak as the situation of judgment had become, God's covenant loving kindness was always present. And his incredible faithfulness always endured so that Judah would not be destroyed forever. The bedrock of faith is the reality that God keeps all his promises according to his truthful and faithful character. End quote. If we look in Psalm 103, We see, for Jeremiah to believe all this, he had to have faith. Now, he is mentioned not directly by name in Hebrews chapter 11, that great state, the chapter of faith, but he is mentioned amongst Samuel and the prophets. 
And in Psalm 103, verses 8 through 14, these words have to become dear to us. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our inequities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. So what does this mean for us? How does, it, how, how does it apply? What should we learn from this? You know, Jeremiah's prophecies in the book of Jeremiah also included the coming of the Messiah and a new covenant in Christ Jesus. In chapters 23, we read this, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, And he shall reign as a king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. That is a reference to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Jesus Christ. He also speaks of a new covenant in Christ Jesus in chapter 31. Beginning in verse 31, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall anyone teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So let me try to tie this all together with Two verses from Psalms that refer to the loving kindness and love and mercy of God. Psalm 89, 14 says this, speaking about God's eternal throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. And then again in Psalm 85, 10 Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Think about when that happens, ultimately, at the cross. At the cross, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. We think of Jesus, and we're talking about the prophet Jeremiah, but The writer to Hebrews starts his letter this way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become much more superior to the angels, as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. Then the writer goes on, he's greater than Moses. Moses was a servant. He's the son of the house. He's greater than the high priest in the line of Aaron because he is the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. goes on and on and on. A better temple, a better covenant. And then also, uh, we need to go to Ephesians because this is our condition that we start out in in this world. Ephesians chapter 2. You, that's all of us, were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once walked in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and has raised us up with him and seated seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the transaction that happened at the cross. Twofold. God took all of our sins laid upon Jesus Christ. He became sin for us and died for in our place. Experiencing, we saw the wrath of God on Judah and Jerusalem, experiencing the wrath of God, his Father. That's why he was able to cry out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The other transaction happened is that God then imputes Jesus' perfect righteousness to us. He lived the perfect life without sin. When God now looks at us, because we're clothed in his righteousness, he can say, your sins are forgiven. This is an amazing thing. And the loving kindness and everlasting love of God is just like, it's immense. We could go on and on and on, but I'll close with these few verses here. One from Matthew. Because this is Jesus' cry to each of us. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus has done it all for us. What amazing covenantal love, faithfulness. And then I'll close with our verses that we need to remember and go home and apply every day that we can. But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we cannot but look into your word each time we do. We learn something new. We see how great a God and almighty you are. You are holy. You are just. But you are loving and merciful because of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent in in our behalf to die in our place on that cross. And now he is seated because death could not retain him. He raised the third day and now has seated right at your right hand, Father, interceding for his children. So please, work in each one of those, those things that please you and draw us closer to yourself and to each other as you do this. We pray these things in that very precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior and soon coming King. Amen.